1: Talk
0: is Jericho baby Talk is
1: Jericho Talk is Jericho mama Talk is me Welcome to Talk is Jericho It's the plot of thunder and rock and roll and today It's been a long time coming, but he's here at last. The star of Stand By Me, Star Trek The Next Generation, The Big Bang Theory, and one of the coolest, craziest internet sensations, a pop culture hero, an icon, Will Wheaton is here. That's right. You might know Will also from Tabletop on YouTube. Uh, If you love board games, yeah, that's his crazy show. He and his celebrity friends get together and play all kinds of board games. He's also a big Dungeons & Dragons guy like me. He's also into video games especially old-school Nintendo and Atari. we got great conversations about all that great stories. And, of course, we talk about Stand By Me, his relationship with the late Great River Phoenix, uh, how Rob Reiner took care of him when he was just a kid, and uh, his great stories of being on the wild and wacky Big Bang Theory, also being a successful child actor and managing to reinvent himself as an adult. All of that is included here. Will is a great guy. He had me to his house. He went into his, uh, his game area. And I'll tell you what, he's got this garage in the back at all of these board games probably, I don't know, thousands of board games. He's a gamer, but not a video gamer. He is a board gamer.
0: Talk is, talk is, talk is Jericho.
1: All right, so I'm here, like in the uh, the board game paradise of uh, Will Wheaton's place here, and this is funny because I love going to people's houses and seeing stuff like this. Yeah, for example, Gene Simmons' house is all Kiss everywhere. Yeah, uh, Eli Roth has all the movies everywhere here. Yeah, it's just there's probably I don't know a thousand board games in here.
2: <laughs> it's it's a and this isn't my entire board game library. I actually a friend of mine owns a gaming cafe, mm-hmm. so I store probably. Sixty percent of my games in her library because, like, I'm not going to play them, right? And I would rather games get played than just like sit on the shelf and look pretty. Mm-hmm. So my games all live at Donna's cafe, and then everybody can go and play them. And then if I'm like, oh man, I really wish that I had whatever game, I'll just go borrow it back from back the library and then take it back in there. storage. There, why yeah. so many games? What's the deal? Well, I've always been a board gamer. I've been playing. So I turn 44 next month. I have been like a serious nerd board game player since I was like I first played D&D when I was 10. Yeah. And I have my original D&D. You do? I have my original AD&D books right over there on the shelf. I've got uh, uh, I my red basic box set that I learned with has long been lost, but I bought one. I bought an unopened copy of it off of eBay, and it was only like $40. Oh, so right. I have another one of those, you know, with the like color them in dice and what all was that it? stuff. What was it
1: called? Like the company that made, I know it's was Gary Gygax. TSR. TSR, that was, was it.
2: Was that, yeah. yeah. And then I have a couple other TSR games that I really like. There was one called Vampire, mm-hmm. uh, which is very much like that Fury of Dracula game I was telling you about before we started recording. Uh, and then another game called They've Invaded Pleasantville, which is another one that an I really like. Alien, liked invasion, an alien invasion, game. invasion game, yeah, yeah. What was the... Um, was,
1: was there? There was um, a spy one too. Do you recall? I used to play. Was it Espionage so, um, or something like that, or was?
2: Yeah, you know what? There have been so there was like there was one called Stop Thief. There was mm-hmm. one called Scotland Yard. Um, Gosh, what else? There have been a lot of games yeah, like that. Um, there was one very similar. Um, I feel like there was a game called Espionage. But it was something. It, it was because sure. like,
1: I played when I was ten. I'm, I'm 44 right now, so we're pretty yeah. much the same age. Yeah. And Dungeons and Dragons for me was like there was maybe Atari video games or something like this, but yeah. Dungeons and Dragons was all you did. Yeah. For a good two years or so. Yeah. Every day, play, 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 play. Yeah. Was it the yeah. same for
2: you? Yeah, absolutely. And. um, I grew up uh, on the eastern edge of the San Fernando Valley Mm -hmm. in California, and my great aunt, who was kind of like my closest relative, and my grandmother died when I was really young, so she was kind of like a grandmother figure to us, and she lives over in the Western Valley. So my parents would take us over there all the time. I spent a lot of time in the car when I was a kid, and then I was going to auditions all the time when I was a kid. So I took D&D books with me, because I could read them in the car, I could write up characters in the car. I used to just make characters for fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would uh, design dungeons on graph paper that I was never gonna get a chance to play with, but I just built them all and I had like just so many books just full of stuff like that. And then right. choose your own adventure books. Great books. I read those like crazy. And then did you ever read the Lone Wolf books? Do you remember no. those? No, these were super cool. So these it was like it was like choose your own adventure plus D&D in a book. Okay. (laughs) So when you'd like make a decision, you know, like if you do this, go to whatever page and then then it would say something like, uh, and now you have to fight five skeletons and you would roll dice and you had a little character sheet in the front of the book Mm -hmm. uh, and you would have to do that. And like, I loved Atari. Um, I was crazy about Nintendo. I think it... If not for like NHL '94 on uh, on Sega Genesis, the original Nintendo would be my favorite gaming system of all time.
1: I think you're right because it's funny too because it was almost like there was a division either you were an Atari guy or an Intellivision guy. Like yeah, Beatles right? and Stones.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I was so intimidated by that weird Intellivision controller, like it was that like a weird disc, disc thing. Yes. Yeah. So I actually bought a a like they called it the Intellivision flashback, so it looks like an Intellivision television console (laughs) and it's basically just an emulator and it's really cool it is still as inscrutable to me now as it was when i was a little boy to play with it as far Um, as intimidation yeah it's just weird the controller is like it's shaped like a remote control yes and i mean i guess if you came to that first like if we think back to that think back to that being like let's say like 1980 1981 or something like that i think whichever controller you came to first was the one that became the way controllers were supposed to be because the ColecoVision controller was just like was like the Intellivision controller but with a joystick instead. <laughs> and the idea of having a multifunction keypad was super advanced for the time, but there was something about Atari being... One stick, one button, and that's it. Yeah. Right? But um, even so much so
1: that when you got used to the Atari joystick, there I remember there was even a little uh thing you could buy that you
2: would stick on that disc. You could actually yeah. have your own
1: joystick on the Intellivision controller. Yeah, I
2: remember. Yeah, I remember, remember that. that. Yeah. yeah. And there was also Intellivision I recall being way more expensive than Atari because like we could afford Atari, but we couldn't afford Intellivision. Yes. And it was like the rich kids on the block <laughs> yeah, had Intellivision. True, yeah. So so like <laughs> I so I kind of like like, I associated in television, like, with rich jerks. Do you know what I mean? I mean, just sort of like, and I was like, like, I had GoBots and they had Transformers. <laughs> right, right, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and, and I just, like, I had Shogun Warriors and they had Voltron, right? And, like, now Shogun Warriors are way cooler than Voltron. But when Not you're then. 9 and 10, yeah. you're like, ah, this is the worst. Right, so right. even though I loved those video games, D&D, like, lived in my imagination, and it wasn't limited by cartridge memory, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to be at a TV to play it. And if my mom was like, go outside, I'm like, okay, and I'd take my D&D books outside with me. Um, but so that started it, and all of these games that are in this room can be traced back to that like starting D&D and then when I was a freshman in high school my friends introducing me to Car Wars and uh, uh, the old uh, Warhammer 40,000 mm-hmm. Blood Bowl and stuff like that but
1: there's something to be said about that too I mean not sounding like you know back in my day but obviously now kids play Call of Duty with their friends my son right. does it all the time it's great to watch yeah. but for us pre kind of group gaming it yeah. was board games yeah. and you would get together with your friends I remember on my blog it was the Swanston kids, and yeah. one was always the dungeon master, and you would just go play for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure in the '50s people would listen to radio plays, and that was the cool thing. But yeah. for us, if you grew up in the early '80s, that was the yeah. way to socialize.
2: I gave I gave a talk at Penny Arcade Expo in 2007. We did their keynote address, and I talked about and at that time, and it's so weird to me that it's almost ten years ago that I did that. But I was talking about how, like, when I was a kid if we were going to play multiplayer games, we were this close to each other. Right. right? Across like we the table. We were sitting on the couch yeah. or we were standing in the arcade yes. or whatever. And if we, if anyone ever mouthed off the way people mouth off in multiplayer video games, they would get their ass kicked <laughs> or like, and that's at best or at worst, nobody would play with them. Right. Right. Cause like who wants that kid in the house? Like, you know, <laughs> F that guy. Right. Yeah. So, in my talk, I, I said, like, so just, like, I want you to remember, everyone who plays games, that, like, there is value in the community that we build. There's value in having a person to play with. Mm-hmm. You can form friendships. It doesn't have to be about, like, don't f- your mom. Like, it doesn't have <laughs> yeah. to be that, you know? And that's when I said, so, like, when you're playing games, just don't be a dick, mm-hmm. you know? If you win, like, talk trash. That's fun, right? Like, I love the trash talk. Um, but there's a point where it has to go, all right, but we're still cool with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to go into, like, that, like, you don't have to, like, do a scorched earth policy of, like, just absolute <laughs> destruction, right? right? right. Um, and I I really, like, I think that there's something really neat about being on the couch with somebody. And I still play combat on. We have my wife's 1977 Atari 2600. It still works. Wow. We hook it up to an old CRT, crappy 13 inch television. Just to keep the vibe going. Yeah. And we play combat, and we play air sea <laughs> battle, and then I play Pitfall by myself. And it's just and, so and, bad too. And, like the graphics are so bad. Yeah. But when my kids were little, and I still had my Sega from college, they would sort of like try to play Sega, and I had like Prince of Persia, which was so great on that console mm-hmm. stuff. And then we showed them the Atari, and when they were like, gosh, they were probably like six and eight or, yeah, I think five and seven or six and eight or something like that. And they played Atari, and they loved it because it was so simple. You could put any cartridge into that game Mm -hmm. and just figure it out. Right. Right. Because there just weren't a lot of choices to make, right? (laughs) This is one of the reasons I think that E.T. game is such a giant failure is, like, not only is it not fun, but, like, there's so much going on in it that you have to know all this stuff mm-hmm. that just makes it if you don't have the rules you're screwed and a lot of those old games like dodge em and 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 that like fishing derby game you know they're so simple and then you have to use your imagination to fill in the gaps it's that- almost like looking at uh the constellations
1: when you see here's yeah. orion and I remember as a kid, I'm expecting to see, like, a guy in the sky, like a yeah. cartoon, but it's, like, three dots here and two yeah. stars there. It's like that with Atari. You have to yeah. figure out what these one lines, and there's a little divot, and that's supposed to be the hole. And, like, right. what is
2: this yeah. stuff? you're That little blinking square <laughs> yeah. with an arrow is an adventurer with a sword, and you're running away from a duck, but it's a dragon, <laughs> and it's terrifying when you're trying to get away from it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that was, like... I think that that one of the re- if you talk to a lot of people who are game designers today, a couple of years after I did my my keynote at PAX, Ken Levine, who designed Bioshock, uh, gave his keynote address. And then like the year either before or after, Tim Schaefer went and gave and gave his you know Tim did like all the LucasArts games okay. right. So like he just recently I worked for Tim on Broken Age and and Broken Age Part Two and uh, and and he did. Secret of Monkey Island. And so, like, he's really well-known for a lot of that that kind of work. They both cited D&D as a place that they started, right? Like, they were so into those stories Mm -hmm. and so into that imagination that when they... Like everybody had a personal computer back then, and and it was like it didn't come with games; it came with the basic programming yeah. language, and it was like Floppy make days. a game, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they like they they talk about that, and it's like that just inspired me so much. It inspired me as a storyteller. It inspired me as a creative person, and I've clearly continues to <laughs> inspire
0: me
1: today. Did you have a, a one character in D anD D that was like your favorite?
2: I always played a wizard. So like, which is weird because. I like I'm a I'm a little guy, you know. Uh I when I was when I was a little kid, I didn't even top a hundred pounds <laughs> until I was in probably like eighth grade, right? I was uncoordinated, I was weird, I was really shy, it was super easy to make me cry. Like uh I, I was like I was all about reading books and stuff. So you would think I'm gonna be a fighter, right? Like I'm gonna be a badass yeah. who just walks in and is like, I don't like you, sword stab, 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 right? But I really liked that the wizards were like, they were squishy and they were very valuable, but everybody else had to kind of protect them and they died a lot. But if they survived, they became really strong and they just did everything with their minds. And I kind of wanted to be that because I was like so weak and weird and awkward on the playground that I was just like, oh God, please don't anyone talk to me or touch me or oh man, it's dodgeball or it's kickball. Like I was the kid when every time I went up to bat in baseball, Or kicking kickball, you would hear easy out, easy (laughs) out. I'm like, come on! The worst, right? It's awful. You know, and then I'd be like, I'm going to show them pop up, you know, every single that's time. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I played I played Wizards. What did you play? I was a paladin and, yeah.
1: my, and my biggest guy was called Haltane. Yeah. And the reason for that was I lived on Wordsworth Way and a couple streets over was Haltane Crescent. I just thought that was a very that's a great name. It's real a great name. paladin name. And what? And to explain to people who might not be familiar with Dungeons and Dragons is that you would build up um, and correct me if I'm
2: wrong. You would build your character up where he would get like different you would go up the levels in, in, in the game yeah, but also just, as a character. Yeah, just like in, in I mean, any, RP, any other sure. RPG video games or whatever. Right, yeah, so like as you gain you gain experience through doing things through like fighting battles and solving puzzles and getting treasure and stuff. Right. And then you as get your more reputation hit grows, you get more hit points. Which you is your You get life. better weapons. Yes. And if you're a magic user, and Paladins can use magic too, yes. you get better spells and more powerful spells. You have more you can choose from yeah. or whatever. So basically, this is my character for about a year. Yeah.
1: And finally, he got up again uh, it's a chromatic dragon. Yeah. Which
2: is in Dungeons and Dragons lore, I think it's the top dragon. It Well, it depends on which edition you're playing. But yeah, very it's close to very one close. Of the top and because they can cast all the not only do they have all the breath weapons but they cast spells. Spells
1: as well and yeah. just basically was destroyed and died. And, oh. you know, to once again, it's like, this was like your dog dying. Like, yeah, Hulking sure. was dead. And I was just yeah. devastated. And it was never the same for me yeah. to play d after that. Yeah.
2: You know? I played, um, I used to play on a podcast with the guys from Penny Arcade. Mm-hmm. And I had an, an Avenger, which was a fourth edition character class. It was kind of like a rogue a little bit, sort of like a blend between like a rogue and a fighter. But he was an Eladrin, which is kind of like a, the cousins to the elves. Like, okay. I decided that Eladrin were like, like they were kind of like um, high elves. So the Eladrid would uh, talk about elves, like the elves are like the embarrassing hillbilly cousins <laughs> that they don't want to talk about. And uh, he, I really liked him. He was very serious about everything because Avengers were sort of like, they were, they were like cultists for their gods, you know? So they were like going to convert everyone, like no matter what, <laughs> like convert or die. And uh, my character died. Uh, and he, uh, he fell into an acid pit trap. Oh. And to this day, I think that the DM killed him on purpose. Was like, I'm going to kill someone in this adventure. And I just happened to be the one. Because I rolled, I rolled a 19 to escape from the acid pit trap. And he was like, no, that's not good enough. I'm like, really? You need a critical success to escape the acid pit trap? That's bullshit. Right? <laughs> and I was so upset when that character died. And I'd only been playing with him for like a year. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't that long, you know? Um, And there is there's a thing that happens, and it's one of those things, I think, that kind of binds us together as role players when it's like, you never want to hear about somebody's character, right? It's like the last thing you want to know is like, I'm going to tell you all the stats so about my character. It's like, oh, God, please It's don't. like showing home movies or something. <laughs> oh, man, right. Or it's like a <laughs> poker player who's like, let me tell you about the worst beat I ever had. And like, you know what? It's happened to all of us. Shut up. But there is a thing where it's like, and my character died and you find other role players who are just like oh man yeah me too <laughs> yeah. I'm sure role players who are listening to this something has gone through their minds you can of, connect like, that to great, that great character that they you know? lost yeah. but,
1: but like I said that's what I loved about that style of, of a role playing game in comparison to video games today which are still great and still, it's still fun yeah. but it's, like you said tracing back to board games which was a social thing but but also too in board games just a part of what you do I what a thing I was really uh, uh, I don't know if intrigued or admire, but I love the fact that you have taken this uh, initial road of being A child actor into now being such a diverse, almost like a pop culture. You know, (laughs) you remind me a lot of Chris Hardwick, which is funny because I know you guys have a past we can talk about. But you become like this pop culture kind of wizard, so to speak. You've become what you want to be.
2: It's you know, I never thought of it that way, (laughs) but I guess yeah, in some in some way, like uh, um, I guess bards use magic. I guess I'm a high level bard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I uh, you know I started so it was around two. 2000, like the middle of 2000 was when I was just like, I had been trying really hard to be an actor and it just wasn't working. You know, I was like 25, 26, something like that. And I I guess, no, in 2000, would have been about 28. And I was just struggling like crazy. And um, I had a really good body of work, but I had taken years off to go to drama school. I had been a very successful child actor, but I felt like I had gotten as far as I was going to get based on just like instinct. And I really wanted the formal training. I wanted the technique. So I went to drama school and I just stopped going on auditions during that time because I was like, man, You know, Luke Skywalker left Dagobah, and he was never a full Jedi. Like he never, he just had to go complete the training. And I was like, well, I'm not going to leave. You know, I'm going to stay here and do all this. And in that time, the industry just kind of forgot about me. And uh, I had always wanted to be a writer, and I had always enjoyed writing. And I just started writing a weblog. Um, When nobody else was doing it, you know, there were, there were less than a thousand in the world at that time, for sure. And uh, that kind of, I happened to do the right thing at the right time. And it was, it was like a, you know, I was a purple cow back then. So like, like I could stand out. Right. And that sort of started letting me reintroduce myself to the world as an adult as myself not as the kid from star trek not as the right. kid from stand by me right and um over time that led to me getting more work as an actor and, and writing i wrote i've written for lots of publications and magazines and newspapers and uh, tons of websites i'll call them in the av club for a really long time and uh, uh then that eventually kind of led to me working on the big bang theory which i think was kind of the tipping point of Of like really of like kind of like letting me go okay everybody remember like i'm still here Mm -hmm. you know um and it was like almost five years ago that my friend felicia day who i've known since we were writers at the acme comedy theater seven years ago um she said so i'm gonna you know i'd already worked with her on the guild i loved the guild i loved what we did together on the guild and she said so i'm thinking about starting up this channel with you know youtube's doing these new channels and and uh, hardwick's doing one and, and i'm doing one and i need programming for it And she said, do you want to do a show together? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. What do you want to do? And she said, well, I know how much you like board games. Mm -hmm. So what about a show where you review board games? And I said, well, okay, so that's interesting, but... Talking about board games isn't that interesting, you know? And, like, I don't want to do a thing where I sit in front of a green screen and review a thing. That's boring. I said, I think the best way, really, to, like, review a game is to play it. And, oh, my God, we could have celebrities come and play board games. And it'll be like celebrity poker, but with board games. And the whole idea coalesced in a matter of minutes. And um, we spent the next several months developing it. And that's how my show Tabletop started. Hmm. Uh, And, you know, I don't know. Tabletop definitely started to happen around a time when board games were starting to have a real renaissance in mainstream culture. It was around 1996-97 that Settlers of Catan came to America and <laughs> the Euro board game uh, 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 influence started to to really, really go. This was right after the collectible card game market, kind of led by Magic the Gathering, had blown up and had started to fade a little bit. But there was all this interest in games again, and Dungeons and & Dragons 3rd Edition had come out, and 4th Edition was about to come out. And um, we don't know, we can't say for sure that if Tabletop was like leading this or just happened to be like on that tide as it was crest, cresting. Yeah, yeah but we're, we came along at a really great time when board games were starting to blow up and we've definitely been, um, we've been part of growing the hobby and, and I just wanted to, I wanted to, to show the world why it is so much freaking fun to play board games mm-hmm. because I feel like when we were talking earlier about how they create relationships they strengthen friendships they sure. They give parents of teenagers a thing to do together yeah. when you kind of would rather not talk to each other you know because like parents are like you know kids are like parents are lame and parents are like oh my god you are such an asshole <laughs> you know yeah. and it's like okay here's a thing that we can do together that's kind of like it's sort of neutral ground right, that's right, right, right. And, and I've had the um i've i've gotten these amazing emails from people and i've met these people who have said my you know my 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 kids in the evening would just go to their corners of the house and we would all kind of do our own things. And we started watching tabletop together and the kids said, can we play board games after dinner? And yeah, now we do great. that three four times a week.
1: So that is such an important thing. Cause my, my little girls and my son too like to play like board games. And, like you yeah. said, some of them, like, like, let's play Monopoly. I'm like, you realize Monopoly is not like a 20 minute game. Yeah, yeah. It's going to take us <laughs> two hours to do, yeah. but it does have that connection where you sit down and, and you have like a family time.
2: When, when I was little, my, uh, my brother and sister and I would play the Mad Magazine game with my parents, which was like Monopoly <laughs> in reverse. The, go- the, 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 the goal was to lose all your money. Right. So you would get places and you would like get money. And like, instead of going to jail, you would go to like tough luck. And there was one bill in the game that was like $632 million or something like that. You had to get rid of it. Um, and, you know, I haven't touched that game in forever. And I still remember those, mm-hmm. those days. And uh, before I started, before I taught my kids... Kind of the modern tabletop games, we played the game of life and sorry and boggle. And my wife loves word games. So I have, and I'm bad at them. I don't like Like them. Scrabble and that sort of thing. She's crazy about Scrabble. And she's really good at it, too. She's one of those scores 400 points in a two player game, Scrabble players. Come on, right? Yeah. And I'm like, um, of, of is a word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the Russian spelling, O-V. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's been, it's been a really wonderful
0: part of my life. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T R U G R E E N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This, this is Talk is Jericho what's interesting
1: to me is when you said that you were able to kind of reinvent yourself which as you know being in show business as long as you have is the key to having that longevity yeah but so many child
2: actors never can do that i you know i think that a lot of child actors aren't doing it by choice Mm -hmm. right like and i've met a lot of those i grew up around a lot of those kids whose parents were like making them do it you Mm -hmm. know and um uh a lot of those kids were just, they were unhappy with it, you know? There is, I, my parents were supportive, but I also felt like it wasn't 100% my choice, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like I have to do this. Hmm. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I decided, yes, I want to be an actor as an adult. Right. And and even now, I kind of prefer writing. Mm -hmm. You know, It's if, if something cool comes along where I can express myself artistically or something is really fun or really interesting, I'm all over that, but I'm not like, I'm not out like seeking out auditions every day, you know, like I was when I was, when I was Mm -hmm. younger, but a lot of these kids, I would see them and they just, you know, they were unhappy and, and I, I felt it, you know, I would go on auditions and you would see these kids whose parents were just kind of mean to them, you know, and it's kind of like, it's like they're like little league parents, you know, or, or like, um. I saw, for the first time in my life, I saw hockey parents in Canada. My kids and I were up in Lake Louise two winters ago, and we were playing pond hockey. Uh, And we were just goofing off. Like, you know, we're from Southern California. We're not, you know, we're no good. And this dad brought his two kids over, and was like, do you wanna play with us? And we were like, sure pond hockey on Lake Louise with two, like, like just out-of-shape Americans, <laughs> and this guy, you would have thought that we were in the playoffs for how competitive Stally this guy up. was, and how much he was, like, yelling at the kids, and mm-hmm. finally I was like, you know what, dude? We're good. Thanks a lot. We're leaving. Mm-hmm. But, but the stakes are so much higher, right? Because there's a lot of money potential for, sure, for child actors. Sure. And what I think happens to... A, Three, there are three broad lanes that child actors can go through. They can genuinely love the art and be raised in a well-adjusted environment where they're allowed to be children and they're allowed to screw up and grow as humans. That's really hard now. You know, like everybody makes fun of Jaden Smith for being sort of like kind of an idiot philosopher on Twitter. But I guarantee you if Twitter had existed when I was 15, it would be the most embarrassing thing in the world for me to look back on. You know, like this is a hard time to be like, a, a well-known person Because you're not allowed to screw up mm-hmm. Like you know you can't do a dumb thing Everybody does dumb things Everybody is drunk in public Everybody is is out of shape On the beach Everybody is having a bad day And is rude to somebody Because they just want to get where they're Like that always happens And because there is an entire industry Around like just dogpiling hmm. on that Like just you can't do it right So these kids who would be just like, you know, f-ing up and going on with their lives? They're not allowed to do that. That's really hard for them. Okay, which I think puts a lot of kids in this sort of second lane, which is they just get self-destructive because they're they're sad and they're frustrated mm. and, they're, and they burn out, right? right. And and right. like and then a lot of them self-medicate. And there's this mythology in the entertainment industry that you kind of have to go live like the hard party sunset strip club lifestyle for a little while Mm -hmm. and then like clean up and come back, you know, and that doesn't really work for a lot of people. And then the third lane that I that some people go into is they transition into a different kind of creativity. And Seth Green is a great example of that. Everything he's done with Stupid Buddy and Robot Chicken and the right. voice work that he does and when Seth chooses an on-camera role now, it's really special, you know. Alyssa Milano is the same way, you know. I mean, there are there are there are, there are a few people who just were kind of allowed to make the transition. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Jodie Foster's Nerdist podcast interview uh, from a couple months ago was really validating and helpful to me because I listened to it. Well, because she talks about being a child actor and just like going to college and learning to just sort of like be a human, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're a kid and you're an actor, nobody treats you like you're a human being. Right, like they, they, or at least when I was a kid, they didn't. Right, it, it was like I, I fr- if someone tries to grab my elbow, I reflexively jerk away because I was so constantly grabbed by the elbow and pushed around. Seriously, by directors and stuff. You no know? kidding. Yeah, because they could very easily have said, "Would you, you know if you could walk over here so we can?" And it was never they, they never it was just grab me and push me That's all the time, even when I was on Star Trek. Huh. You know, and I was 14, 15, 16 years old, directors would come in and they wouldn't call me my name. It would be the kid, the boy, the child. And, like, bless the cast of Star Trek because every single one of them would say his name is Will. Mm-hmm. You know, or you don't have to grab him like that, you know, mm-hmm. and th- and things like that. And I think that what happens is that – and I know that I've struggled with this and I continue to struggle with this – is that just – a part of me feels like, why did you take all that away from me? Like, why did you take all that agency away from me? Why did you take all that time away from me? Instead of like, you know, like we could have done this together, mm-hmm. right? You know, like we could have worked together. Right. And, and, and when parents are like, what should I do with, you know, my kids blah, 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 and acting? And I'm like, well, first of all, don't. You know, if your kid really wants to do it, there's drama programs in school, there's local theater, there's... Any kid now can shoot they can write and shoot and edit and release movies literally using only their phone, yeah, you know there's great ways for kids to be to to be creatively expressive, but you get one chance in your life to be a kid mm-hmm. and they you know they can take that away from you. And that's that's terrible.
1: I think if you see that, if you take like, probably like Michael Jackson, for example, with probably all the childhood taken away, which is why he was always kind of the quote-unquote eternal child. Yeah. You know, you miss out on so much of these things because you're being treated like an adult, but not, you're kind of in the middle.
2: Yeah. You know? God, you know, I just remembered, I don't know why this, probably because I'm talking to you, but this, this just super clear memory flashed into my head. So it was probably, let's see, my sister was probably... 5 so it was probably like 81 81 82 83 something like that i was so into wwf little oh, right? yeah. so, oh boy i mean i was crazy into it right yeah. like uh every saturday morning right and um that year that the record came out yeah, and like, like, 84 something like that yeah so. right and then we had like the toys mm-hmm. right and those toys were great and we had the wrestling ring and all yeah um and wrestling was coming to the sports arena in la and um my dad we we asked our parents if we could go and our, my dad bought the family tickets to go and i didn't do a lot the reason i'm thinking of this is i didn't do a lot of like these are things kids do with their family stuff because i was always at work mm. and we were going to premieres and like right this was just a thing that was for fun that was for the family so we go to the sports arena and um <clears throat> We did not have a lot of money in those days, and we went in, and I expected that we would be, you know, way up in the cheap seats. And we walk in, and the, there, we we go in, and we go into the mezzanin, you know, like the concourse. And instead of going up, we go down, uh-huh. and we keep going down, and we keep going down, and we get on the floor. And my dad, I don't know how he did it, had gotten us tickets that were like six or seven rows back from this from the edge of the wrestling ring, and. <laughs> I can remember clearly, so I remember Jimmy Superfly Snooker was there that (laughs) night, and he, so we were, like, kind of off the corner, right? And he, like, he did his his Superfly jump thing, like, right in front of me. (laughs) And and that night it was a steel cage match between Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. (laughs) And... It was one of the greatest experiences of my life, <laughs> and was and is like, I bet I could find if I'm sure there's a database somewhere that's like, these are the people that were on the card, oh, and I'm the sure, yeah, I could probably You'll go find and find that. Yeah. Um, but it was this like magical moment for me, and it is one of like, you know, there's like. 10 of those Mm -hmm. in my entire life Mm -hmm. and it's so funny I haven't thought about that in years (laughs) Um, but every time I see you I get wrestling on the brain I was like oh yeah yeah, but that is one of those that's one of those times where like my parents were like let's go do a thing that families do and kids Mm -hmm. do you know and but, you know, and here's something that kind of fits in
1: with that is that I guess it was last summer. My son and his friend from down the street were hanging out and my wife was somewhere else. And so I said, you guys want to watch a movie? And they said, sure. I said, well, let me show you this movie that I used to like when I was a kid. Stand by me. We watched it. Oh, no way. Yeah. And to watch it with them, they were probably 10 at the time. Yeah. Uh, a, just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. But B, forget how like lots of swearing. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a great, such a great movie. That's though. a perfect age to watch. It that really movie. is. You know, with, you know, the, the guy who's puking all over the Place yeah. and the the, ball, the leech on the balls and all yeah, It's just yeah. such a great movie. Is, is is? Do you ever look back on it and go like, "It's part of American cinema history," yeah. and you you were in it.
2: This August eighth this year will be the thirtieth anniversary yeah. of that movie being released, and. Wow. The only reason I know that is because August 8th is my wife's birthday, <laughs> and she went to see it on her birthday. No kidding. When, yeah. Um, it was her 16th birthday. Mm-hmm. She's three years older than me. Um, so we, um, we had filmed it the year before, and I didn't know until less than one year ago that the film was nearly shut down the day before production began because whoever was financing it pulled the financing really and rob reiner got on the phone to i think norman lear who he had worked with you know all, all, all the family, the family yeah. and, and had a long relationship and said i need you know whatever a million dollars or something and he was like okay here you go
1: hmm.
2: we had already been we were in oregon we were on location we were like it you know we had been there for two weeks prepping for the movie and when we filmed it you know none of us knew That we were making something that was going to become this kind of like American classic, Mm -hmm. right? Like last night I was watching Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye with Mm -hmm. Elliot Gould and Sterling Hayden and just... There's a couple of movies where I watch them and I enjoy them as a movie, but I'm so blown away by the filmmaking that I lose the plot. Guardians of the Galaxy does that to me. I have yet to watch Guardians of the Galaxy all the way through and actually follow the story <laughs> because I'm so blown away by the filmmaking and, and the photography and the special effects and all that stuff. Right. Um, so I was watching – same thing with Long Goodbye. I was watching that. And to think that Stand By Me is one of those things that can legitimately be mentioned in the same breath as Long Goodbye or Love Story Absolutely. or or you know, or Taxi Driver or Godfather or something like that. Blows my freaking mind. None of us knew that anything like that was going to happen when we, were, when we were working on the movie. Mm-hmm. I felt like we were doing something special. I felt like we were doing something cool. But I didn't know that mm-hmm. it was what it was going to be. And then it was like a year. So by the time it came out the following summer... I'd kind of like forgotten about it, you know, I'd, um, I'd gone to do other things and then it came out and when it came out, we were on vacation and like the whole family, my parents had a motor home and we did one of those national park vacation things. And when I came home, there was, there were boxes of fan mail that had been sent to the studio on the front porch. And I stayed up all night reading it and trying to answer it because I thought that's what I had to do. And I didn't realize how much that was going to change my life. Mm. And it took a while for it to kind of sink in and, and then kind of get used to that new reality. And it's an amazing, wonderful part of my life. A lot of people spend their entire acting careers never getting something like stand by me in their you know in their body of work and and i got mine like when i was a kid so Mm -hmm. everything i do stands on the shoulders of that you know which is great but at the same time it's sort of like geez was that a fluke do 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 i objectively suck and i just got lucky when that happened it's like you won a
1: stanley cup in your first season
2: exactly yeah no absolutely it's exactly like that you know like part of me just really wants to continue to dislike Sidney Crosby um, but the reality is like that kid has grown and matured mm. and and is I still don't think that he should have gotten MVP I think MVP M- I really think MVP should have gone to to Murray um uh or to um uh, Jones yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um, but Crosby's uh, the marquee guy though yeah of course I mean and that was just and it's just like ugh, god damn it Bedman <laughs> you know um, uh, or or to Kessel mm-hmm. who was a beast this year on, yeah. oh my yeah, god unbelievable how's that the same guy who was in Toronto two seasons ago I Let's mean see, that's the, just like that's the blossom wow. of a player exactly you know, the blossom of an actor you know yeah, same thing yeah. right? so you get into a place where you can do your work right but I still struggle with that you know mm. it's just like you got to do it again, right? So it's like, I'm sure for somebody like 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 Crosby, like you get another one now at almost 30 and you're like, okay, it's real. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, Same thing with like, I remember when Dowdy came to play for the Kings at 18, <laughs> you know, and he's like, and he's on his way to being like one of the great defensemen, I think probably in, you know, certainly in this century and mm-hmm. probably in the last 30 years or something like that, you know? And to win a Stanley Cup and, that you know, like, three years after he comes into the league but then to do it the second time I feel like the first time you do it is you sort of like I don't know there's just that thing about like alright well I, I planted the flag there can I get back and do it again I, I just think that there's I agree
1: yeah. I, I mean, I know the first time I won the world championship in the WWE was two thousand and let's say one. Yeah. Didn't win it again until two thousand and eight. And then that 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 the uh, you know, the kind of the waistline in between, you're wondering, was like, it a fluke? I mean, obviously wrestling show business, but even
2: from yeah. no, it's like winning an sure, Oscar or same. getting a part, can Absolutely. I do this again? Yeah. Cause there's only so much you can do. That's right. Right? There's all these other decisions are being yes. made. And and like while while you are like this known commodity mm-hmm. and, and like like you know, you've got Like you bring this particular thing to you know to the ring, and I remember watching you back then, Mm -hmm. and and I and I I remember everything you know. But then at the same time, here comes whoever you know. Here comes a different person. It's like well, well, yeah. And then from a business standpoint, they're like, well, that guy costs less, so let's invest more in that guy. You know, he's younger, right? And then you're like, and it's that's the thing of being a performer, Mm -hmm. right? And and like you guys have that weird thing where you're phenomenal athletes but you're also performers Mm -hmm. you know and it's like i remember i was a huge mcfoley fan Mm -hmm. i just i loved him as a as a personality but i loved his book and i really just i enjoyed watching him you know as i cannot think of any other sport in the world where you could get as profoundly injured as he did And you are expected to keep going, right? Right. Because everybody in the crowd is like, oh my God, he just fell 30 feet to the ground and landed on his back. Let's keep going, you know? I mean, that's just- That's true. That that is- mind blowing to me, you know? And then you see like I love soccer, right? So I'm watching the 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 Champions Cup right now and I'm watching the Copa America and and I'm seeing these guys who are like that guy looked at me <laughs> taking like, the big dives. This is the yeah. biggest dive ever and I'm like you are such a pussy like you you wouldn't last for a second in rugby. You wouldn't last in roller derby like come on you're making millions of dollars like the stop truth, being right? yeah. such a baby. <laughs> when- uh, but there's there are all those, like, for anyone that's a performer, it's just, like, you do the best you can mm-hmm. do. And it took me a long time to kind of, like, get okay with the reality that, like, you can do the best you can do mm-hmm. and still not get the thing. Because here's a hundred decisions that you don't even know about that you had nothing to do with that you never could have affected that. That got made. Right. I have heard of executives at studios, like, they want to cancel show A, but they can't because of a deal or whatever like that, right? So they cancel show B that's doing great, that shouldn't be canceled, just to show show A that they can do it. Wow. It happens all the time. And now, 400 people are out of work. Right. And it's just gone Hmm. because someone's ego... It was like, well, I have to show everybody, you know, that I'm the boss yeah, or, the or whatever, like that. Did you have? Uh, um, I mean, we were talking
1: about like something like Stand by Me, which is once in a lifetime in a lot of ways. With yeah. those four other dudes, the four of you guys, yeah. is there? Is there like? I mean, obviously, you No know, Rivers passed away, but is there some kind of a bond there that you'll
2: never forget? Or is it? Just yeah, kind of- you know, there really is. Um, and if you'd asked me this two years ago, I would have said, Nah, not really. But we all got together. Really? Yeah, we all got together. Corey and Jerry and Rob and Dreyfus and I, we all got together. I can't remember why we had been brought together. But we were brought together to talk about the movie. And it was the first time. Like on a panel or something? Yeah, it was for like like the Today Show or Good Morning America or something like that. And we walked in and it was the first time we had all been in the same place in a really long time. River and I were really close, really. We were super, super, super close during production. Um, I was the weird kid that everybody picked on, uh, and you know, like because it was so easy to make me cry, you know, <laughs> and you get four boys together, and that's just sort of like you know it's I a mean, mentality. Exa- absolutely yeah and and there was this sort of like they were like, uh you know, everybody just sort of like teased me a lot because that was that was an easy thing to do and and um but River was always really kind to me. And uh, we were really, really close right up until I was probably about 16. He was a couple years older than me. And he just kind of was pulled and he was much more successful as, uh, than I was as, as an actor. And he was on location a lot. And I was working on Star Trek, which was a different kind of success and a different kind of thing. And I felt like he was the real actor, you know, and I like I really looked up to him. And it was around that time that he was really self-medicating himself with drugs and he had taken on the responsibility of supporting his entire family and and he was he was a legitimately talented actor. I mean, he would have, I remember when he was nominated for an Academy Award and you could see the relief on his face when he didn't win because hmm. he didn't want it, you know, like he you could see that he wanted to do the work but you could see how much he was hurting and I didn't know what to do, right? Because like it just made me really uncomfortable. I never went to parties, I never went to clubs. I was I was never even experimented with drugs when I was a teenager. It was like I was never interested in it. And as a consequence, he and I just sort of drifted apart. And it was sad, but it was like, okay, you know, well we'll come back together someday and then he's dead. Mm-hmm. And I carried around this like sadness of like I wonder if we could have been friends. you know what would happen if we were adults? Would our kids play together? would we have gone to weddings together? That sort of thing. But the reality was we had drifted apart, and Corey was always tough to be around. I I don't dislike him at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm fond of him. Um, But he's very much a product of his environment. And his parents were awful and used him and exploited him and just like wrung as much money out of him as they possibly could. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really clear that he never learned how to say like he never learned how to establish boundaries with people never learned to like you know say to people in hollywood no you can't exploit me that way and and kind of didn't know how to not be famous Mm -hmm. right and that made me really uncomfortable you know and then he and corey Haim were like they were part of like the heroin scene and i was like well that's not my deal so Mm -hmm. we stayed apart jerry lived in new york and Jerry and I corresponded before email, we would send letters to each other, you know, and it was too expensive to phone call, so we would just send letters And We stayed in touch for a really, really long time and then just sort of slowly drifted apart. And then I got to this point in my life where I was like, I am a giant failure. I was in Stand By Me. It's a, one of the biggest movies ever. I was in Star Trek, one of the biggest things in the world. I quit Star Trek to go have a film career. Didn't have that film career because I chose to go to school instead. Came back from school and now no one wants to hire me. I'm a giant loser. Like, I've made a series of terrible, terrible, terrible decisions. I was ashamed of everything. And I felt like, well, I certainly can't call these guys up. I can't be around these guys. I can't talk to any of these people. I, I need to, like you know, they're famous and successful and I'm a Mm has-been and and I'm 25, you know? (laughs) And and I didn't know what to do with myself. So I just kind of retreated and kind of withdrew into my own thing. And around this time also, um, I have depression and anxiety and I see a psychiatrist and a therapist and I take antidepressants and I have a great life as a result of all that stuff. But at that time, I wasn't getting help. So I had untreated depression, which is the worst, right? Because you wake up in the morning and your brain's like, hey, guess what? you Mm -hmm. wait what i don't know you know you know and your brain's just like no you're gonna feel terrible about everything all day today because uh reasons right so they got us all together this whatever it was show brought us all together and we walked in and like i got there first because it was in toluca lake which is real close to where i live so I, i i walked in to the theater and i was just kind of like standing around waiting you know i saw rob and i said hello to him so I saw Dreyfus and said hello to him, and Jerry came in. And I walked up to Jerry, and, you know, when we worked together, Jerry was a little fat kid, and now he's, like, the big, beautiful you know, <laughs> guy, God. right? Yeah. You know, and I'm looking at him, and he's walking, and he's looking at him. And, he's, and, and I'm looking at him as he walks close to me and um i've done a lot of comedy the last few years right i've done a little bit of stand-up i used to write sketch comedy for a lot so like that's one of the places my brain goes that's like that's like my um my like my my safe place you know it's like you know my brain is just like let's make jokes about shit so he's walking up to me and i'm like at least once in his life he has said no rebecca romaine i do not want to fuck you i'm tired Right, so I start to laugh. <laughs> so I start to laugh, <laughs> and and, uh, and he comes over and he's like, "What are you laughing about?" And I'm like, "You don't want to know." But it's so good to see you. And it was like no time had passed. Right, zero time had passed. And then Corey came in, and I was like, "Oh my god, look at you!" And he hugged me, and he was like, "It's so good to see you." And it was like no time had passed. And then we all got together, and we sat on this the stage together, and this is the first time we've been together in in over 20 years, all of us. And Rob says, we're like sitting there waiting. There's just two seconds of silence. And Rob says, I feel like there should be an empty, there should be an empty chair here for River. Oh, wow. And we all just, were just like, every one of us starts to tear up because it made very real that he wasn't there and he was in, and he'll never be there, mm-hmm. you know? And there's this line in Stand By Me where the adult Gordy says something like, I, I hadn't thought about him in years, but I know I'll miss him forever and that's how i felt in that moment and it was it was really overwhelming and and really sad and kind of informed the whole discussion that we ended up you know ended up having and we've all stayed in touch to a certain degree since then Hmm. um uh, you know, every now and then, uh, somebody sends... I follow some of the... There's some really neat Stand By Me tumblers. A new generation of kids is discovering Stand By Me. Young, right. young kids are discovering Stand By Me. And there because are kids that cosplay Stand By Me conventions and stuff. <laughs> because you can relate to it as a
1: kid, no matter yeah. what generation or what year yeah. it is, you know?
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the... Rob tells the story about how right after the movie came out, he was... Um, He was somewhere and some some guy was like, you know, so I saw Stand By Me and boy, did it remind me of my friends and me when we were kids. And Rob said, oh, did you grow up in a a rural area? And he's like, no, I grew up in Queens. Mm -hmm. But we did those kinds of adventures. And Rob said that's when he realized this movie is about, like this movie transcends certain things, right? When my boys were probably around 10, 8 and 10 or maybe 10 and 12, I let them watch it. They, um, they've they been asking about it, and and uh, and I let them watch it, and I watched it with them. And to them as kids, it's weird seeing their dad as a kid, you know. But also, like, it's an adventure story for kids, right? It's a really fun yeah, adventure story for kids. You're right. For adults, it's a very different movie. For adults, especially as a father. Great call, To watch man. that movie, you know. It is... It's about that moment in your life where you're not a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's great, but it's also a tragedy because you don't realize what you've lost. Yeah. You know? And and it is about how, you know, you can see those kids are archetypes, the characters are archetypes. So you think about that kid that was never given a chance to break out, you know, that kid who was like set up to just be the bad kid. So he was like, all right, I'm gonna be the bad kid, you know? (laughs) Um and it's this totally different movie. And I think that's one of one of many reasons that it that it endures. Yeah. And you know, that's that's all on the writing and the filmmaking and the casting and 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 like really a pizza trophy to Rob Ryder for (laughs) for cast for casting four boys who were basically those characters which is yeah your
1: descriptions of them in real life is the characters of of, of the guys and mm-hmm. you know even to the point of you and river being close just like gordy and and, and i can't remember what is was. chris chris
2: was, yeah yeah and so weird the way that we drifted apart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like yeah, the movie right yeah it's it's weird um i've toyed with the idea because i think this would be fun i've toyed with the idea of recording the adult narration for stand by me <laughs> The adult Gordy And then just releasing it Like on SoundCloud So like somebody could can sync it up And watch it If they wanted to And then like Reshooting the end With like my kids And my camera Yeah 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 um, I think that would be Disrespectful to Richard If I did that yeah, But right. but it is a thing That has crossed my mind Because I'm like Oh that would be really cool yeah, Just, just because I'm a writer As an adult Sure now, you know? sure sure <laughs> You're
1: talking about endearing And it's funny Because there's uh, Types of fans And I've found in my life That wrestling fans Yeah Kiss fans Yeah And Star Wars slash Star Trek fans are the most loyal slash lunatic slash craziest groups of fans that you can have.
2: Yeah, you know, I wonder, like, I'm not a giant Kiss man. There's, like, some of it that I like, but I'm not, like, I'm not crazy about it, you know, but... Good God! Like the most passionate fans, yeah. like like I mean, there's like Kiss fans, Deadheads are like that. The Violent Femmes, for some reason, have this weird alt rock Deadhead yeah. following yeah. Kind of thing that goes on. You know, um, yeah, you know, I don't really know what that is, but yeah, absolutely. With I can wa- I have as much fun watching wrestling now as an almost you know as as, as a mid forties dude, yeah, as I did when I was. 12 13 14 years old you know and um uh i love watching those like i watch the classics you know those old, where it was like at the spectrum in yeah, 1977 sure. the Forum, or whatever, yeah. whatever you know and like yeah right and and like vince mcmahon's like 11 years old or whatever you know <laughs> and, and and like and or like gorilla monsoon and mean gene Okerlund, you know <laughs> right. and i'm just like it is as fun and as like it lands on us in a way. And Star Wars and Star Trek do the same thing. Mm. And I wonder if it has something to do with just being... I just dumped water all over my table. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it has something to do with being like... There's something mythological about it. Yes. Right? Um, You know, there's definitely... I've always loved I love that about wrestling You know Like before I knew What a heel and a face was You know I was just like I knew who the good guys were And I knew who the bad right. guys were Like know? a movie You know Yeah absolutely yeah. And, it's, and it's just sort of like It's almost like A four color comic book Right It's just like The good guys were white And the bad guys were black <laughs> And like things are big And bigger than life And Star Wars and Star Trek Are the exact same way I mean and even You know And there's Uh, there's great, there are great morality plays in all of that, right? There's great morality plays in wrestling. There's Mm -hmm. great morality plays in star Wars and star Trek. Um, And then you've got people that's really interesting, right? You have people who are like star Wars forever. I hate star Trek, you know, Beatles and and stones. That's the division. Yeah, absolutely. And it's rare the, the reasons that people kind of like, like and dislike are very interesting. Eric Kaplan, one of the writers on Big Bang Theory, who was also a writer on Futurama, one of the smartest people I know, does, he says, I don't care for Star Wars because Star Wars is fantasy and Star Trek is science fiction. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, Star Wars has the Force and the Force is magic. Star Trek has science. And I was like, <laughs> but the transport. And he goes, right, but it's grounded in science. True. And yeah, and you're right. It's definitely Beatles and Stones.
1: That could be your your reason why you like one other than than the other, right? Have you gone to any Star Trek conventions or do you ever do that scene at all? Oh,
2: yeah. Um, I'm not doing any this year. Mm -hmm. I'm taking this year off because I have a lot of writing that I want to do and I just need some time home. I need to not be on the road. Sure, sure. I was on the road a lot last year. Uh, But when you
1: go, what kind of reception do you get?
2: really positive and wonderful. Um, when I was, uh, when I was, you know, when I was a kid, I would go to comic book conventions and I would go to horror conventions and (laughs) sci-fi conventions when it was like 300 people in, in, you know, at, at at the now torn down ambassador hotel in LA Exactly. and and, and I loved it. It was great. It was so much fun to be around people who liked the same thing I did, but also liked it the same way I liked it. Mm -hmm. Um, in the you know in, in the early 80s there wasn't a lot of that in the early 80s you know science fiction wasn't cool and and star wars and alien and blade runner were kind of like they were big you know close encounters they were like big blockbuster movies but the that sense of community that fandom gives us now i don't remember it really existing when we were kids mm-hmm. i don't i don't recall feeling like if I'm going someplace in a Doctor Who shirt, someone else who watches Doctor Who is going to be like, yeah, Doctor Who, right? It's more like that someone's going to come to me and go, nerd, and like punch me, you know?
1: Um, it was like that for music, though. Like if you like, for, for example, when Metallica first came out, yeah. if you were walking down the street, actually one of my friends that I'm still friends with to this day, we walked past each other in the middle of the night uh, in a, in a, f- a, f- a f- football field walking home. Is it Metallica? Yeah. yeah. You like Metallica? Yeah, because I had a Metallica shirt on. Yeah. But as far as like Doctor Who or Science fiction, it wasn't like it is now
2: yeah you know yeah that was so yeah that's so like you can there's that cool thing about kind of like you're like announcing your it's like you're carrying a flag yeah sure you know what I mean like colors this is your banner right and it's like who else you know who else has sworn to this banner (laughs) right and it's great I love that but it wasn't like that back then and I and and I grew to really love conventions because they were a place where I could find people where I was just, it was, it was okay to be not cool. Right. Right. Um, And uh, then after starting work on star Trek, I was kind of like on the other side of the autograph table. And uh, because I remember what it's like to be a kid who waits in line for a half an hour to meet somebody, I work really, really hard when I'm at those conventions to like, really give people a good, memorable experience. You know, I don't want them to feel bummed. I don't want them to feel taken advantage of or taken for granted or anything like that. I do not always succeed, but it's an effort that I really, like, very strongly make every single time. And um, I have a really good time and people are really nice to me. And um, uh, uh, I I have met, gosh, I've just met, I don't know, I've probably met half a million people over the years. (laughs) You know, all over the world. And everybody's got... A lot of stories kind of overlap about what that means to them, but um, everybody's got this unique take on why it's a thing that matters to them. And that's one of the things that I wasn't really prepared for when I started working on Star Trek. I was already a fan of Star Trek. Um, and and I enjoyed, like... I enjoyed science fiction, and I was, like, into all that stuff, but I, I never realized... This is a thing that makes people want to be engineers. This is a thing that makes people right. want to There's like like do too. you know, do like things that are bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. And one of the coolest things in my adult life is meeting people who are like in their twenties now and they are scientists and engineers. Because they thought Wesley Crusher, my character, was really cool, and they wanted to do that stuff when they grew up. That's cool. Because when I was a little kid, I would meet people and I'd talk to people, and they went into science and engineering and 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 those fields because they thought Scotty was cool. So to be in that, like it's like being in a pantheon, you know. To like, right. be part of that is it's a tremendous gift, and. I work real hard not to take any of that for granted. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're very fortunate as a as a performer to have those roles that people
1: hold very dear.
2: Yeah, I think if you talk to any artist, um, any creator, you know, we just we want to do a thing that matters. You know, mm-hmm. we want our work to land on people in a way that, like, just that does something a little more than provide a delightful diversion for ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, like just something like I being a dad really changed me and being a dad and i saw how important it is cuz i i see how parents are not like actively involved in raising their kids and i and i see how like raising kids like here watch tv you know or or yeah. like, you know go whatever you know and and um so i i work really hard to like, sort of like on tumblr i'm like the internet's dad you know <laughs> and and um and and as just i want to make art that that makes that challenges the way people think about things and inspires people to do things and it's something that that you know you, you don't just delete it off the server and forget about.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as a, a couple last couple things that do you like enjoy doing the sitcom format with with Big Bang? Oh, it's the best. I mean, you're so great
2: on. it My wife's a huge fan and she's oh, like, got big ask so, about Big Bang Theory. Oh, so. that's so cool. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. It is um it's so much fun. Uh, the four-camera show is a much easier schedule than a single-camera show. Mm. Um, we shoot at Warner Brothers, uh, which is a real easy drive for me, which is nice. Yeah, you know, if you're going to live in LA, you got to live where you work, right? <laughs> or, 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 or life sucks, right? Yes, kill you. Um, and that cast is magnificent. Half the cast. Uh, all have advanced degrees in, for real in, in theater and 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 the arts and mayam's a phd she really and, is smart, and, yeah. Right? yeah uh and then the other half of the cast they've been working in in sitcoms for so long that they're basically lifers and they really know what they're doing and it's a set where everybody respects the work hmm. everybody knows how lucky they are to have the job everybody knows how how Lucky they are to be on the top-rated series in the English-speaking world, right? And, and, and they're just all great people, right? Everybody gets along. It's a family. There are occasional family squabbles. Not a big deal. But when I go there, they make me feel like I have been there since the very first day. And I've been doing shows since the second, second or third season. Mm-hmm. And they have treated me like I was part of their family from day one. Um, and it's wonderful I love it it's so much fun I want that show to go on forever because (laughs) not only am I a fan of it, but because I just love, love working
1: on it. Well, you fit perfectly too because they're all Star Trek fanatics. It's really you come, you
2: know. Yeah, I really, you know, I really enjoyed being the nemesis to Sheldon's character. That was really a lot of fun. Uh, But I'm also really glad that they rewrote the character and they let the Sheldon Will Wheaton relationship evolve and change so that. they become friends, yeah, because it lets it lets us do more things mm-hmm. together there's like I, I I feel like the the Will Wheaton on the Big Bang theory is more of a more of a troll than I am in real life <laughs> you know and, and and really enjoys just kind of like setting Sheldon up to do ridiculous things and like enjoys it you know like he just sort of enjoys creating. Trouble and then like letting it play out You know I'm not like that But that's um, a fun
1: thing to do like I do it too I play Chris Jericho in the WWE But I'm also yeah. Chris Jericho you know in real life As you are Will and Will Sometimes yeah. people get confused between the different I'm sure Seinfeld went through it too when he did Seinfeld that's You
2: Seinfeld. know it took me Five years of working on the Big Bang Theory To separate in my head Intellectually and emotionally hmm. Will Wheaton the character from Will Wheaton <laughs> The person you know Yeah. Um, what is that like for you as a wrestler Do you have to Maintain Chris Jericho the persona when no, you're like I out mean, in the
1: world. No, because you know now it's it's show business, right? Yeah. But the, it's wrestling is a very strange um, animal because it's got one foot in reality and one foot in fantasy. Yeah. And the lines are very blurry. Yeah. So. There was times when I was, like, the most evil bad guy where people were attacking me on the street, not even during the show, like, yeah. literally attacking me because I was the bad guy, not yeah. realizing that, you know, Anthony Hopkins isn't really Hannibal Lecter yeah, walking yeah. down the street in yeah. a straitjacket eating a liver with a fine Chianti. Yeah. So there, there's it's a strange will because of the blurred lines of reality
2: yeah. fantasy. I, uh, I remember when Kurt Angle was, like, just the trolliest trolley heel in yeah, the yeah, world. And yeah. I loved him. Right. I was so into that. And I always thought, if I ever met him, I would hope that I could be like, I love everything you do. And he'd be like, cool. Instead of like staying in character. right? I did an episode of The Weakest Link a million years ago. And I met the woman who's the host of The Weakest Link. And I was really afraid of her. Sure. You know? And she was, um, we were backstage and i don't recall exactly what she said to me but she was really nice and i was like and i said um this is really fun Mm -hmm. you know and i really appreciate that you are giving me as good as as i'm you know as i'm as i'm as you're getting from me um and and she uh, she smiled uh and she winked at me and she said no i'm meant to be very mean to you so no one can see me being (laughs) being friendly i should i have to go now (laughs) and and i just thought you know that is so weird you know because like those lines between reality and fantasy have been blurred so much that it's almost like, you know, I have friends on soap operas and uh, these people who are just, they're like disconnected from reality. are like, how could you do that to blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. Like I'm <laughs> just playing a part. None of this is real.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not real, I know.
1: <laughs> I'll get that sometimes though. People come, like recently, I'm, I'm a bad guy now on the show and people yeah. come to go, Jericho, you're such a great heel. You're such a great heel. Can I have an autograph? I go, no, get the hell out of here! Because if you're saying a great heel, then
2: okay, but that's great. I'm but that's great. great. Get so the much, hell out of here! But that is so much better. Right? Like if I, I if 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 we, I would be like, oh man, I would, he was like, yeah, go fuck yourself. And i was like, yeah, I totally I should. <laughs> that's so, yeah. That's I mean, that's that's cool. And there is there is something really great about having that level of awareness mm. and relationship with the fans of things where you can. We're all having fun. That's right. You know what I mean, and and it's and it's great. Like yeah. I I like that a lot. Um, I uh, I think that that is, you know, like I remember a million years ago. Uh, I was I was in I was in Texas somewhere, and Bill Lane Beer was in the hotel that I was in. Bill and Bill Lane Beer, who was one of the Detroit, Detroit yeah, Piston, yeah, yeah, sure, and, right, right. And this was when the they were like, they were the bad guys of, of, <laughs> the of, of NBA, basketball. Yeah. Right. And, um, the Lakers, this was still Showtime Lakers and the Lakers just dominated the league. And I don't remember what he said to me. Uh, uh, but I, I said something to him about how, um, uh, uh, the Lakers are constantly defeating them in championships. And I thought he was going to tear my head off my body and he's a big freaking dude, you know? And I'm like, Oh, we're not having fun. Like he's taking this really super seriously. It's time for me to leave, (laughs) you know? And like, I don't know. I like, I like being able to, uh, I like being able to have fun with it. Yeah, sure. Sure. Because It's just, that's what's all like it's just it's all so ridiculous. Um and we're all really lucky to do what we do. Yes you know? Exactly. And we're really lucky to get to entertain people and and uh you know and and inspire people. That's and, exactly right. And uh CM Punk and I are are friendly because he's all about the Blackhawks and oh, and, yeah, yeah. and you know, and, and we both like we're just two guys who love hockey on Twitter together, you know. Yeah. And I've had some really wonderful times just talking with him and 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 like just like you know, BSing with him and stuff and ah, then the, the terrible things people say to him on twitter like they'll jump into this thing that we're doing and i'm like off. But Phil's a really nice guy What in the world Is wrong with you Wrestling fans Like I said That's <laughs> like, what, what they do Why would you say those things <laughs> to him He's such a nice guy <laughs> Yeah And then I'm just like Yeah of course Yeah Yeah,
1: yeah. Last question uh, Of all the
2: celebrities You've had on tabletop Who is the worst sport Um
0: God really
2: <laughs> You know what's funny Is um, my friend Claire um, Claire Grant Is married mm-hmm. to Seth Green Yeah and Claire is the sweetest, nicest. I love them. They're like family to us. And, and we're super close friends. And, and we double date all the time. And I just adore her. And she is so f***ing competitive when we play board <laughs> games that, like, she can't have fun. Like, she's just... She's, and she's like, something changes in my brain. Just something snaps. Something goes off. And, and I can't just <laughs> relax. And, and Seth's like, oh, my God, it's the worst. <laughs> so this season... I don't recall what game we played but we played a game that was a co-op game and it was either we all win or we all lose and we were like maybe claire will finally relax and have fun in this game no no super 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 competitive <laughs> and super hardcore um and and um uh and it's funny we edit we cut it into the thing you know we we, we make we make f- fun out yeah of it, sure right um but one of the things that but that is that doesn't really happen on tabletop because when I invite people to come and play, I I tell them, you know, this is one of the things that I want to share with the world and one of the things that I I taught my children is that we should never sacrifice the joy of the experience Mm. in pursuit of victory, right? right? It's that thing about like, you know, don't give up the journey because you're so focused on the destination. Um, When my kids were little and they were in like Little League and stuff, their bio dad was like super competitive and and it was very much like if you don't win you're a loser you know and I thought that that just sucked and I would try real hard to like mitigate that with my kids and I would tell them like look man if you're only having fun when you win you're not getting everything you can get out of this experience and you just cannot win all the time yeah it's just not possible, you know. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. E- even these prize fighters who go out and they, you know, they retire eleven and zero. They lost a lot when they were on their way to like defending their belts and stuff, you know. Like, right, sure. It just life is you're gonna lose sometimes, yeah. And and that's not a big deal if you just find ways to have fun while you're doing it. So in tabletop, it's mostly about all of us goofing off and having fun together, and uh, and the experience of playing the game. So in, other than, other than Claire nobody has ever really come on and just taken it really seriously and like gotten pissed you know well next season I'll come on and I'll flip the table we'll do a big work but we won't tell anybody that would be fantastic yeah, yeah. we'll do it for sure yeah you have an open invitation <laughs> anytime right, thank you man you're welcome thanks for coming to my house oh it's great this what's your favorite board game in here Right now, it's Pandemic Legacy, uh, which is really fun. It's it's the board game Pandemic, but it has a story that, that okay. changes as you play it, and you ch- actually change the board. You put stickers on the board, you tear up cards and all that stuff. Um, but there's just about any game in here I will play you got, uh, you got Candyland in here somewhere I don't have Candyland but I do have Star Trek Monopoly
1: <laughs> there you go yeah perfect alright Will Wheaton's tabletop show on YouTube is tremendous hilarious uh, g- very entertaining Seth Green Talk is Jericho alumni Paul Shear, Jason Ritter Jamie King are some of the celebs who've played board games with Will he is a master and of course you can see him on the Big Bang Theory one of my wife's favorite shows and of course Stand By Me Gordy Lachance one of the best movies of all time Will's a great Guy, thank you so much to Will. Uh, so thanks to you guys for listening. Well, I'm rolling out the thank yous. Big one, uh, uh, big thank you to all of you, of course, for supporting Talk is Jericho and all the great sponsors who make it possible. DDP Yoga, go to slash Jericho now to get 30% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all DDP Yoga related merch. Little Caesars, get the Smokehouse Pizza for just nine bucks plus tax for limited time. Don't forget about True Car, get the car for the cheapest price, quick and easy. Go with the True Car app and do that. And the Jericho Network has another smash hit on his hands, the Raven Effect. You guys are loving Raven's podcast. He's talking about anything and everything that can come into his head. It's basically a 45-minute uh, one long run-on sentence. He's tremendous. His delivery is hilarious. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, new shows that I've heard in a long time. Uh, in the last episode that came out on Monday, he hit on SpongeBob SquarePants, Mike and Dave need wedding date movie, uh, Tooth Fairy Payouts. He talks wrestling once in a while as well. He talks about whatever the hell comes into his brain, and he's uh, so smart and so crazy you're gonna love it it's hilarious hit subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already leave them a rating and review and uh, do, do it for talk is Jericho as well I want to get up to 2,000 comments I want 2,000 comments that's the goal I know you can help me get there it'll be a huge help on this show with advertisers and getting more great guests so hit the comment section on iTunes let me know what you're digging uh, and what you want to hear on this show if we get to 2,000 comments I will have a special guest for all of you okay 2,000 comments and see what happens. I got a big treat in store for you guys. And don't forget, Beyond the Darkness, bringing the creepy, freaky tales of the paranormal to you five days a week. Dave uh, Schrader and Tim Dennis just killing it on that show. All these great topics. I don't even know where they get all these guests from. A lot of freaky people out there. And, of course, Team Tiger Awesome enjoying a resurgence, dropping new laughs every Sunday. This last Sunday they did uh, the uh Showdown of Saturday morning cartoon gangs. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the Smurfs, the Pro Stars versus Mr. T and his magic gymnastic team. You got here, it, it's pretty funny. Uh, but of course, uh, Team Tiger Awesome, also known for their great ads, and you want fake news? They got
0: fake news. Hilarious fake news like this. This is the news with Team Tiger Awesome. In sports this week, after years of taking it one game at a time, staying within themselves, and thanking God just for the opportunity to be there, the Cleveland Browns have decided that none of that actually works. So in an effort to shake things up, they'll be thanking someone else just for the opportunity to be there. Open tryouts to fill the spot formerly held by God will be in early April. So best of luck to everybody involved. The most surprising Oscar of 2017 would be awarded not to Moonlight, but at the Science and Tech Awards to the creators of an animatronic horse head. The robot horse head is said to possess incredibly lifelike eye movements and chewing and be almost indistinguishable from a real horse on camera, as well as cheaper and easier to work with. Meaning the horse head in the bed from The Godfather now has something in common with coal miners. A hatred of immigrants. This has been the news with Team Tiger Awesome. For more, listen to the Team Tiger Awesome Show every Sunday right here on the Jericho Network.
1: I know you want more of that Team Tiger Awesome every Sunday, and of course, uh, Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus, bringing the smartest, most intelligent wrestling talk to the network, uh, and of course, the flagship show, Keep It 100 with Conan, Hilarity, Ridiculosity, with Conan, uh, Disco Inferno, KG, to Guerrera, Shane Helms, the whole gang is there, and it's a, it's a blast every week, so I'm keeping it entertained. i got a lot more shows coming up, some wrestling, some not. Uh, trust me, if I have them on my network, I think you are going to love it, and don't forget friday okay what can i say it's the biggest podcast ever mick foley makes his talk his jericho debut what are we going to talk about who knows man it's going to be worth it i'm telling you've been waiting for a whole year uh, friday it uh, will be here very very soon can't wait for you to hear that and can't wait for you to hear the 60 second ap news headlines coming up next and next wednesday here's a good one Mind freak Chris Angel is going to be here, one of the greatest magicians of our time, one of the greatest illusionists of our time. I went to his Las Vegas uh, uh, theater and his dressing room, and we had an amazing conversation. Chris is a very uh, intense and uh, kind of a creepy guy in a good way. You're going to love it. The Mind Freak, Chris Angel, is going to be here. So we'll see you on Wednesday. Have a great weekend. Don't forget downtown Bruno. What a conversation we had with him. Talk and shop live in Mexico City. Absolute ridiculousity. Suicide silence was here. Uh, all the great shows on the Jericho Network. And, of course, all the great episodes on Talk is Jericho. If you're bored this weekend, go back and check some of them out. They're all fun. Sebastian Bach, what a lunatic he is. And don't miss out on legendary Canadian wrestling promoter, Tony Kindello. He's amazing as well. So go have a listen. Have a good time. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And a big, you yeah, boy to you and yours.
0: You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at PodcastOne.com. That's podcastone.com.